Hi folks, welcome to the Finance Hour. Whether you're listening live on JR or on the podcast, this is the show where we help you make sense of the world of business and finance and hopefully uh, give you some tips to make some better decisions in your own life. My name is Ruben Zoa. I am a financial planner, owner of Adapt Wealth Management. I've been doing this podcast now for a bit over two years. You can find us on all the major platforms like Stitcher, um, iTunes, and Spotify, anywhere else. You can also go to the JO website or you can go to my website, adaptwealth.com.au. So today in the show, we have Noam Corbel, who is the co-founder of Hearing Choices, which is an online hearing aid platform, a really exciting new startup, uh, and it's going to be great to hear his story, just like other similar stories we've heard uh, over, the, over the years. Uh, but before we get to Noam, it is time for Ruben's Rant. Ruben's Rant. Now, my rant this week is about the concept or the idea that share market returns reflect the economy. That is very rarely the case, particularly in the short term. There's a lot of research which has been done which says there is almost no correlation in the short term between how an economy is performing, the you know how, how the GDP is or anything like that, and the share market returns. Uh, what is a much, much bigger factor is what the valuations of the market is. And a big example of this was when the GFC hit in America uh, and the share markets fell a lot. Even after that point, the economy was terrible, but the share market returned very, very high, gave very high returns. And that's because it started at a relatively low valuation. So so just the concept that, uh, you know, if the economy is not doing well, the share market won't do well, uh, that actually is not the case. It's the valuations that matter the most. Okay, well, we're going to take a very short break and then I will introduce Noam Corbel. Okay, we have Noam Corbel in the studio. Noam is the co-founder of Hearing Choices, which is an online hearing aid platform. Noam, thanks and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right, Noam, so give us uh, just a, a brief overview, if you don't mind, of, of the company you've started, when you started it, and what exactly, uh, what exactly you do. Sure. So Hearing Choices is an online hearing aid and audiology platform. Essentially, we help... Uh, people that are suffering from hearing loss get yep. in touch with their local audiologist yep. and then get involved in like the sale and distribution of the hearing aid to make sure they get you know more affordable um, hearing aids and and more effective cost effective and beneficial service right so how um how did you actually get into this i mean it doesn't seem like the kind of business that a young guy would would automatically be attracted to <laughs> Yeah, so we started the business, um, it was at the end of 2015. Yeah. Um, both me and my business partner, Akiva Zentel, um, have a bit of background in you know online e-commerce style businesses. So yep. I worked for a digital marketing agency for five years, mm-hmm. um, saw a lot of ideas there. Um, and Akiva worked in the startup world, worked yep. for, he worked for Catch, he worked for Eat Now. So digital marketing... That, that was just helping companies market online on yeah, so social we, media and the like? Well, so yeah. it was more Google. So we specialize yeah. mainly in AdWords and SEO yeah, um, and a bit of conversion rate optimization. So helping yeah. people um, you know, improve their website from like yeah, a, okay. a sales e-commerce point of yeah, view to make yeah. sure that they're... Get in, the traffic and actually then convert converting that traffic, business. exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of my background. Um, the reason why we started the business was because uh, my grandmother and Akiva's grandmother, around about the same time, um, got 
got sold and and fleeced about twelve or thirteen thousand mm. dollars for pairs of hearing aids. Right. Um, and Akiva and I used to actually speak to each other on Skype during the day while we were at work, always you know yeah. trying to come up with these different harebrained business ideas yeah, and schemes. Yeah. Um, and we just got talking about the hearing aid industry. Right. Um, we, you know, happened to you know get a bit of an insight into the industry. Um, and so when you say they got fleeced, how did they? I mean, is that not what the hearing aids cost? I mean, what do they cost? So the one thing that we found like pretty early on was that um, prices, um, you know, varied quite wildly from, mm. from clinic to clinic. And there was no there, there was no real recommended retail price. Yep. I mean, there still isn't a recommended retail price. Mm. Um, and we just thought that the margins that these companies must be making on these products are crazy. Mm. Um, so when we started, $13,000 was about the price for a top-end pair of hearing aids. Yeah. When we started, we started selling the exact same pair of hearing aids for $8,000. Right, right. Okay, so typically, I mean, until I suppose you guys came into the market, I mean, typically people would, I don't know, they'd go to their GP, their GP would do a hearing test and recommend that, or they go to an audiologist, and then they go there and get get a hearing aid. Is yeah, that, so is normally, that yeah, so... Um, with hearing loss, it's a bit of a it's a bit of an interesting one. Um, you don't necessarily have to go to an audiologist via referral from your GP. Right. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of the time, people just make an appointment directly with an with an I audiologist. See. Yeah. Um, but you know, sometimes if a patient's been complaining of hearing loss, they'll visit their GP, and their GP yeah. will recommend that they go see an audiologist. Right. Um, but you don't have to do that. You can right. go directly to an audiologist. Yeah. Um, so they go to the audiologist. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. so what what used to happen historically and, and still does happen is patient goes to an audiologist. The audiologist will um, conduct a hearing test and have yeah. like a chat and discussion mm-hmm. with the patient about the particular product or model they feel would mm-hmm. benefit their hearing loss most. Yep. Um, and given the pricing was pretty crazy and pretty outrageous, um, a lot of customers would kind of you know, drop off there. They just put their hearing issues on hold for a little while. And yeah. I, think, I think there's a stat somewhere that suggests that um, people generally wait, I think it's up to seven years to actually do something about their hearing loss Right. when they first notice it going. Yeah. But that would partly because they don't want to face up to the issue as well. Correct. I, I mean, there, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there you, are... Because it shows you're aging or this or that. You just, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, look, there, there are plenty of stigmas factors. associated yeah. with um, hearing aids. You know, yeah. Only old people wear hearing aids. Yeah. And, but I don't think that the, the pricing helped. Yeah. Um, and when you add to the fact that um, not many people know this, but a lot of the a lot of the hearing aid clinics that you go to, the audiology clinics that you go to, are actually vertically integrated manufacturer-owned mm. chains. So right. hearing aid manufacturers not only manufacture and produce hearing aids, but they also run their own retail stores. Right, so when you go right. to, a, let's say, an audio clinic or a Connect Hearing, they'll only sell you their brand of hearing aids, which is right. Oticon or Phonak, uh, which are fantastic hearing aids. But when you go there, you're not given the choice. Right. Um, it's like going into McDonald's. Yeah. Although it's a little bit different because when you're going into an audiologist, like you think you're going to see an, an impartial professional. That yeah. would be your general feeling. Correct. I mean, that kind of thing is, is um, you know, it's been a big issue in the whole financial advice industry. Yeah. If you go to a bank to see a financial planner, you know, are you just getting the bank products or are you getting something that's 
you know broader the whole market it's interesting that it's it's yeah. the same case in other professions as correct well. it's not it, it's definitely not a regulated industry um mm. the way some other medical niches are which yeah. you'd expect yeah um i mean when i'm speaking to people over the phone i always kind of talk to them um about how strange it is mm. i mean if i mean my dad's a, a doctor if his clinic was owned or sponsored by panadol and he just continued yeah. Yeah. continually recommended panadol i think you know people would raise eyebrows yeah not really like that in the hearing aid space yeah um, and that's yeah. one of the reasons why we started the business was we wanted people to be a little bit more clued up about why they were buying what they were buying mm. uh, that we wanted them to have the the freedom to choose um the hearing yeah. aid that they wanted yeah um and we also wanted to kind of empower the the audiologists that we work with, um, who a lot of them run their own, you know, small independent mm, clinics. Mm. We wanted to be able to drive customers through their doors because that's what we're, we're very good at, which is like that lead or, right. or booking generation. But, th- but those audiologists until now, they're obviously, you know, you go in there, they're selling you a, um, you know, a unit or whatever it is, hearing aids. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you say the prices are high, are they making a good sort of profit margin on themselves? Like they're buying it at a lower cost and selling it at a higher price. So they're, they're making some money off that. So a lot of these, a lot of these like smaller clinics would obviously not um, have the buying capacity of a lot yeah. of the big the big businesses and big chains. Yeah. Um, so they would have to sell hearing aids at fairly high prices to obviously, you know, make make a profit on the on the devices sold. Right. And one of the one of the issues that a lot of these um, one of the issues that the industry faces is that there are a lot of um, businesses. I think it started with with the big chains, like with the big retailers. What they ten- tended to do was they would, I guess cheapen the 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 service um Mm. like the virtue and value around the service component of being fitted with hearing aids um and essentially like just bundle in like a whole lot of you know aftercare fitting support in the price of the hearing aid and that's kind of how they would justify their high prices by saying oh you know you get lifetime aftercare Right, right what we realized after having conversations with a few audiologists in the in the industry was that they only really see a patient um, throughout the, the lifetime of a pair of mm. hearing aids, which generally lasts about five years, mm. on average about five times. Right. So one of the reasons why we were able to kind of scale our pricing back so significantly um, compared to the big players was that, you know, we just included five face-to-face appointments mm-hmm. um, and then essentially, you know, pay the audiologist that we work with like a consulting fee or a fitting fee to see patients on those five occasions. Okay, so you're actually all right. So let, let's then then get back to the actual guts of the business, sure. right? So you said that you're like a lead generation. So you're finding people that you're 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 channeling to these audiologists. Is that is that the guts? Yeah. Of the so business? Our, our our background is digital marketing. Yeah. Uh, building websites and yeah, you know, setting up advertising and generating inquiries. Um, so that's that's something that we're pretty good at. That's I'd say a core competency of mm-hmm. ours, where we're actually able to acquire customers relatively affordably, mm-hmm. um, qualify them really mm-hmm. well, and then book them in, like facilitate an appointment booking, kind of like a concierge service um, yeah. with the, the the network of clinics that yeah. that we operate. So how, how do you actually drive those those leads? Where do you get them from? So mainly online, so mm-hmm. you know Google, SEO, AdWords, yeah. Yeah. Um, a little bit of Facebook, yeah. um, a little bit of Longtail, just a, a few different marketing yeah. channels online. But yeah. it's, it's almost exclusively online. Um, we played around with a bit of PR recently, yeah. um, and, and are trying to do a little bit more offline. Yeah. But it's yeah. mainly online. Well, you've got massive PR by being on this show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you you get people to your site, and then and then what? Yeah. So what are you what are you giving them? What are you offering them? 
So essentially we offer them, look, there are very few businesses in the space that can boast, um, you know, some of the, the um, services that we offer. So we, yeah. we pride ourselves on being affordable, accessible and helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, there are plenty of clinics that are offering discounted hearing aid prices, yeah. but they can't really offer the same combination of helpfulness and accessibility. Mm-hmm. Not only are our, are our prices competitive, we also have like the right level of um, helpfulness, like the right level yeah. of service and care. And because we've got like a network of close to you know 300 clinics around Australia now, we're also really accessible. Yeah. Um, so customers can kind of get an appointment with our with our clinicians all over the country. Yeah. So um, I just want to go back a step. I try and understand the customer experience sure. because so I'm you know I'm looking for a hearing aid. So I Google hearing aids. Mm-hmm. I come across you. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens from there? So generally, you'll you know you'll fill out a form on our website, yeah. or just call us directly by seeing our phone number on on online. Um, we've got the, the engine room of the business is like an in, inside sales team, like an inside you know call center. Um, so you'll generally have a conversation with what we call hearing success managers, mm-hmm. who are essentially um, a group of customer support staff that are there to. Um, I guess ask some preliminary questions about your hearing loss, how long patients have been suffering from mm. for, um, you know, what they're, what they're looking at doing about it, uh, whether they're ready to come in for an appointment. And once we're comfortable that they're ready to come in for an appointment, we'll facilitate that appointment booking for them mm. with this network of clinics that we have operating around Australia. Right, okay. So, so you actually, and how many conversations do you have with them to get to that point? Is it usually just one conversation? Uh, yeah, normally. I mean, yeah. like like anything, when you're you know when you're looking at buying something that costs thousands of dollars, you you probably spend a bit of time there, there researching shopping and around a bit. shopping around. Yeah. We obviously attract a lot of comparison shoppers online, right? Um, of course. But yeah, look, you know, you know, there's a series of nurturing campaigns yeah. that yeah. they go through. But yeah, generally speaking. Um, we speak to them, you know, once or twice before booking them in for an appointment. Yeah. And then we leave the, the clinical side of things up to the audiologist that we work with because yeah. that's not our core competency. It's not yeah. It's not what we're good at. Um, so you find an audiologist that's sort of in their area that's that's sort of linked up with you in some way. Yeah, correct. It's similar yeah. to, like, have you seen those real estate agency businesses, um, like the Open Finder and Open Agent? Yeah. Um, you know, they help you find a real estate agent right. in your area. Right. So it's pretty similar to that. So we help put them in touch with a clinic in their area. Okay. We then um, leave the, the the product recommendation and the clinical recommendation up to the audiologist. Yeah. But if a patient proceeds to purchasing a pair of hearing aids, yeah. the clinician will send through an order to us or send through an order to the manufacturer with our yeah. account details on there. Yeah. Um, we, you know, and as a, instead of them ordering the hearing aids directly through their own account, they order them via our account. Right. Because we obviously, because we're like a national business now, we, we've yeah. got pretty good about buying power with a lot of right. the manufacturers. Right. So, so they can choose whichever hearing aid they want or... Yeah. So we've got, yeah. we've got, um, we've got accounts set up with all the main manufacturers in right. Australia. So you don't care which one that they... Not, Which not really. Use. Oh, look, look, like any business, you know, you get you know better pricing and better margins with some brands yeah. over another. Yeah. Um. But, but relatively speaking, no, it's we leave it up to the audiologist. Yeah. Um. And then we place the order. The hearing aids then shipped out to the clinic within a few days of the of the order um, yeah. being placed with the manufacturer under our account name. Mm-hmm. Um. When the customer next goes in for their fitting appointment, which is usually like a week or two after the initial test and discussion, um. They pay for the hearing aids when they walk out the, before they walk out the door. Mm-hmm. Instead of them using 
their the normal clinic's payment terminal, they use the Hearing Choices payment terminal, yeah. which is just a, a square um, yeah. Yeah. You know, reader set up yeah. um, or an online zero invoice. Yeah. Um, the money hits our accounts. And then after the, we offer a 45-day cooling off period because yeah. there's a lot of um, brain function involved in hearing. Um, everyone hears a little bit differently. Mm. It takes time to get used to hearing aids. So you can't just put a pair of hearing aids on like you do a pair of glasses and yeah. think that, you know, that's it. Yeah. Your uncle. Um, it does require some some fine tuning and adjustment. So the, the customer will go back in to the clinic for a follow-up appointment at least once or twice after being fitted. Mm. Um, so we offer that 45-day money-back period mm. so that a customer... Um, has time to return the hearing aids to us for a full refund, mm. no strings attached, no questions asked, mm. if they're not satisfied with the purchase for whatever reason. Yeah. But the yeah. aim of that 45-day period is to, is to really make sure that um, you know, the customer's comfortable with the, with the yeah. recommendation the audiologist has made. Yeah. And if the audiologist has gotten it wrong, which from time to time does happen, you know, we're always happy to kind of change it out for a different product. Yeah. So what's the, uh, so the audiologist, what's in it for them, the fact that you've made an appointment and they're, they're, and you're potentially filling them up with appointments? Is yeah, essentially, essentially we're, we're like an outsourced, you know, back off, like marketing, marketing back office. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, we facilitate the appointment booking for them so they don't uh, need to get bombarded by... So you actually will place the appointments in their diaries? Correct. So, got- so, what we, so the way we started originally was um, both Akiva and I were still employed mm. and we get like a call or an inquiry come in. We'd, we'd duck out of work for a couple of minutes mm. to speak to the customer over the phone. Um, and then once we were comfortable that a customer was ready to come in for an appointment, we'd palm the lead, like we'd palm the information off to the clinic and mm. hope that the clinic got in touch with the customer right. to book them in for the appointment. What we found was that a lot of clinics just didn't call customers back right. for whatever reason. They were busy or they just yeah. didn't necessarily like 20 people over the phone. Yeah. Um, so we, we lost a lot of business and a lot of mm. leads because we weren't getting involved in the appointment booking process. Right. So... And that was one of the reasons why we started concentrating on the business full time. Yeah. Um, so, so they you've actually got some. They use you've got access to their sort of calendar system somehow or something. Yeah. Look, you know, some, for, for some clinics we've got access to their calendar. A lot of them use you know Google Calendar, so we can right. just you know they just share it with us. Right. Uh, we've got access to you know some company CRMs. Yeah. Where we can just place the appointment booking directly in there. Oh, so it's, so it's different. Like for each, you don't have a unified thing. So that's something that yeah. we're, we're concentrating yeah, or yeah. we'd like to concentrate on uh, yeah. later on in the year. We'd yeah. like to build like a unified platform yeah, um, that all that our audiologists yeah. can tap into. Yeah, um, that'll make things a lot simpler. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and then sometimes it's even as, as basic as um, and archaic as asking the patient, you know, when they're available over the next couple of weeks, calling up the clinic to see if they have any, right. sometimes you have to any availability that. and then yeah. slotting that customer in yeah. where, where available. Yeah. And then what we do is we send the, the patient brief off to the clinic yeah. so they don't have to start the conversation from scratch again with the audiolo- with yeah. the with the patient. Um, yeah, I definitely find those on I mean I on a much smaller scale, I find those online calendar systems to be fantastic. Yeah. I use Calendly now. So we use Calendly yeah, as well, yeah. To get clients to book appointments. Yeah. Just saves the back and forth. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, the one thing that we really like about about Calendly in particular is um, let's say someone leaves a, an inquiry for us mm. and we get a lot of inquiries each month. Um, if for whatever reason we can't get back to them straight away, it also allows them to schedule a time for us to call them yeah, back. Yeah, perfect. That way we, that way we, um, you know, we, we, we prioritize calling back the guys that have, you know, specifically put a callback request in the yeah, calendar. We know yeah, that they're generally a little yeah. bit more serious about wanting yeah. to book in an appointment. Yeah, so that works well for you. I, uh, okay, so... 
Yeah, so so they'll book in the appointment. You're not you're not getting. Are you getting like a cut of the appointment fee or anything like that? Or so we no. actually pay the audiologist that we work with. So they you know they don't pay us. We pay them. Um, and you pay them for what? But for for consulting with our patients. So oh, remember, so you actually bill the patient. So rem- for the consultation. No, no, no. So the patient. Um, if the audiologist charges like an, ish, an initial consultation, that patient pays that directly to the yeah. audiologist. But without without hearing aid pricing that we sell to customers, they get five um, f- free face to face appointments included in the price. Right. So if they pr- proceed to a fitting to buying the hearing aids, ultimately we're we're being paid for the hearing aid up front yeah. you know, when they're fitted. And then once that cooling off period has passed, out of that money that we earn from the hearing aid sale, we pay the audiologist their fitting fees. Um, right, up to five for what the next five over the next how long? For five? the next, well, they, they never really expire, but mm. um, we pay them for the five fitting fees because that's what patients are getting included in their pricing with us. Right, so is that generally what ha- what happens now if someone if someone buys a hearing aid directly from an audiologist? Do they generally have those those so, free? Yeah, so there, there's still things. like a lot of bundling that occurs. So yeah. an audio, um, so an audiologist will bundle in like you know twelve months worth of service yeah. and support in the price of the right, hearing aid. Right. With us, we've scaled it back. So five face-to-face. The audiologist is essentially paid a consultation fee for those five um, appointments, those five face-to-face appointments they'll see the, audiolo- right. they'll see the patient for. Um, and we generally pay them after that 45-day cooling-off period has passed. Um, mm. Sometimes if an audiologist signs off on a patient earlier than that, we'll pay them sooner. But yeah, so essentially for the audiologist, it's fantastic. It's, they don't, they're not paying for the customer. Mm. Um, it's incremental business. Um, mm. And as like I'm sure you're aware, you know, they, they generate like a lot of goodwill and word of mouth referrals and business from you know, just, just seeing patients and getting in, getting mm. in, in front of patients. Mm. Mm. Um, so for them, it doesn't cost them extra. A lot of these clinics are not super busy. Yeah. Um, they have holes in their calendar and they're already paying their overheads, their staff, their rent, yeah. etc. So, you know, if they've got holes in their schedule, they may as well see customers from us. Obviously, in an ideal scenario, they're able to um, drive their own their own business and their own yeah. customers. But a lot of a lot of small businesses don't really have that capacity. Yeah. Um, well, if then, I mean, I guess the the yeah the main benefit of them doing yeah to themselves is that they they what they order the hearing aids on their own account and maybe make a bit of a margin there. Yeah, for sure. So that, that, that's the only benefit, it sounds like. Yeah, look, I mean, if, if they'd see a patient directly themselves, um, you know, they may make, you know, another $1,000, yeah. sometimes more, yeah. um, on selling a hearing aid to a customer directly. Yeah. But when you start factoring in things like marketing and yeah, advertising right. and right. staff to be able to handle those inquiries. Yeah, and I imagine also they're small, you know, as you say, they're small sort of independent businesses. They're, not, they're probably not very good at marketing. <laughs> Correct. Know, like, and that, and that's, like and that, they went to you know university and studied to become an audiologist yeah that's what they are yeah the one thing that the one thing that we have seen is that you know a lot of the audiologists are um they're medical professionals you know they're caregivers mm. first and foremost yeah um so there are some who are you know pretty business savvy but yeah but not many yeah um so a lot of them that we work with really love the service that we offer because they're still able to see patients yeah um they're still able to stay busy, yeah. Um, and we help them plug holes so, in the calendar. So, how many audiologists do you have, like, in your network in Australia? So, we've got about three hundred sites across wow. Australia. Um, probably about close to a hundred individual clinics, about eighty or ninety individual clinics. Um, so, what's the difference between a clinic and a site? So, a lot of a lot of clinics that we work with will have visiting sites. So, yeah. you know, they'll they'll work out of a medical centre one day a week or okay. something to oh, allow okay. them to kind of see. Um, 
you know capture like yeah. a broader uh, geographical area basically yeah and how did you uh how did you get these audiologists you just like do door-to-door knocking or did you how did you get no, it? so the, the the good thing about it was that um all the audiologists that we signed up were were, were essentially from like word of mouth referrals mm-hmm. so we signed up one um and then from there people noticed us online they got in touch with us uh, and we managed to get them to kind of test us out for a little bit really and then yeah it was re- we the only time we um we did any 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 sort of marketing was we did a letterbox drop about 12 months ago mm. and it wasn't very successful i think we may we, we sent we sent um letters out to about 245 different businesses mm. i think we only got like maybe one or two people yeah, signing yeah. up with us but hang on you're saying word of mouth what one audiologist tells another audiologist is that what you're saying yeah well i mean audiologists you know happen to you know see our advertising online they yeah. got in touch to see what we were all about oh, um, or a manufacturer that we work with told you know one of their accounts mm. who happens to be a clinic oh you know I'll get you in touch with these hearing choices guys. Have you heard mm. about them? Um, so they made their own inquiries, yeah. and you know we we sign them up on like a really like we don't we don't charge any audiologists to, yeah. to join our network. Um, we always say to them, look, give it a try, test it out for a few months. If after a few months it's not working out, then mm. you know you're kind of well, free. It's not like they're paying it; they're not paying like a monthly fee or anything. Yeah, like exactly, that. exactly. So, so there's not yeah, as you say, there's not yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm you know I'm proud to say that um, later in the year. Um, we're going to have like a stall at like a big audiology conference. So mm. hopefully that'll enable us to sign up a few more mm. um, clinics around Australia. And how many like audiology cl- clinics are there in Australia? Do you know? I think in terms of independent ones, I think there are about, about 200 or 250 independents. So yeah. there, aren't, there aren't too many. Um, the industry And you've already got 100 of them, do you say? Yeah, it's about 60 or 80. Um, okay. So um, yeah, there aren't I mean there are a lot of there are a lot of pretty successful big independents um, yeah. that don't necessarily need us because they're able to drive yeah, their own yeah, customers yeah, yeah. but there are a lot of small businesses our real bread and butter are the you know the small um, yeah. kind of mum and dad businesses yeah. that are either just starting to get off the ground mm. or you know want a bit of extra businesses like a cherry on top to like yeah. what they're already doing um, the the industry is really um, dominated by these big retail chains yeah. that are vertically integrated yeah. uh, with manufacturers yeah uh, but they but they wouldn't see you as a threat at all would they or um they? no i don't i don't think they'd see us as a threat i think they see online as a bit of a threat because yeah. they're so used to seeing customers offline um they've got these massive retail footprints mm. uh, which slowly but surely are, are getting smaller and smaller mm. as it becomes more expensive um, yeah. to run these clinics individually i mean they're yeah. obviously not seeing as many uh, patients offline as they used to mm. so everyone's looking at everyone's really looking at online to you know to drive bookings mm. Uh, mm. and drive inquiries mm. which is what we do quite well yeah. so i mean it's actually interesting this model did you uh you know of having professionals effectively that you're not being utilized their full capacity and driving marketing for them i did i've come across a similar kind of businesses before one of them was called I think close the loop. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of that, which is it was basically like for recruiters yeah. who are effectively not, you know, once again they've got a bit of downtime mm-hmm. that they can they can um, they get referred from an online platform to do some aspect of the recruiting process. So they yeah. might just you know do get paid by the hour to do the interviews or to to write the ad or to you know sift through resumes. So it's not the kind of the full gamut of what they of what a rec- full recruiter does, but it's a similar thing. It's sort of using up. You know, capacity that that people have and i guess something like uber is a little bit similar as well you've really got a car you know you're driving around like you may as well 
use that resource. Yeah. So did you, uh, what sort of market research did you do before or what, was there any other particular model that you, um, that you modeled this on? So my business partner, Akiva, is like a perennial researcher. Like yeah. he is just always, you know, looking out for like the, you know, the next, tech, you know, dif- different websites and ideas and yeah. technology and whatever. So we did a lot of research and we found that, you know, this model was quite effective in Europe and in America. And we thought that we could, you know, do something similar here. Right. So it actually, this same model is already operating there. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So we, originally we wanted to, it would have been really nice to just be able to generate leads and just sell mm. the leads to different clinics and not need to worry about, you know, the wholesale side of things mm. and sourcing products and managing clinics and um, you know, managing relationships with clinics mm. and managing staff and stuff like that. Like we really wanted to be able to acquire the acquire the lead fairly affordably online and then sell those leads on to the different, you know, mm. clinics that wanted to yeah. purchase our leads. What we worked out pretty quickly was that, um, you know, Firstly, like there wasn't really uh, much embracing of online amongst the audiologist, like audio, audiologist community. They just were very reserved and mm. a bit unsure about it. Um, and also, they valued a lead very, very differently. So they said to us, "Well, is you know, am I paying you? Let, let's say that let's say we were going to plan on charging fifty dollars or a hundred dollars mm. for the lead. Mm. You know, if they're not charging upfront for um, the price of a hearing test, and the mm. customer just comes in for, for for a hearing test." You know what? Yeah, what what value just, would they assign? But it's to not that? just a lead. You're actually booking the appointment. Weren't so you? that's what we do now. Yeah. But oh, initially, initially, initially we, we 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 would have liked to just be able to just palm the lead off to the right. clinic. They pay us a small fee for the been, lead. It would have been a simpler business, correct? And we just generate yeah. leads on mass, and they pay us for that. But we yeah. realised that um, it wasn't. It, it didn't really work in this space. I mean, it does work mm. in other spaces. Like yeah. I, I, I'm sure you've heard of things like service seeking, and mm. um, uh, there are a few other. Well, that's is that for like. For like tradies and handyman, exactly. So, so it yeah. works in other spaces and yeah. other niches. In this one, it didn't really, mm. um, and we and we realised pretty early on that if we want to make a business of it, we probably have to get involved in like the the sale and distribution of the products as well, because mm. that's where mm. the margin really was. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Were there any other sort of business models that you sort of considered, or you know, before you ended up with where where you are? Yeah. So there was the the lead gen model. Yeah. Um, where we thought. You know, initially we just thought that you know we'd build a website, we'd rank online, like yeah. we'd rank on SEO, not have to like yeah. spend very much money on advertising, and yeah. just like you know funnel the leads across to like some mm. of the clinics that we work with. That was one model. Um, you know, another model was potentially looking at you know the the, the agent finder model, where mm. all you really do is you um, get the customer in touch with the audiologist, mm-hmm. and then charge the clinic um, a fee if that customer proceeds to purchase. Mm. Um, so not worry about the clinical side of thing, not worry about making product recommendations. All you're really doing is just helping a customer find the audiologist, mm. leave all that up to the audiologist, um, and then just you know pay them on the back, uh, get them to, to, to pay you on the back end. You know yeah. whether they get let's say an entry level product, a mid range, advanced, or premium product, right. kind of like like open agent works. I think yeah. they charge like a, a percentage on, on on the commission that an yeah. agent earns yeah. when they sell a house. Yeah. Um, but again, what we found uh, was audiologists are caregivers. You know, they're, they're medical mm. professionals. They're not. They're not salesmen. Mm. Um, and we found that a lot of patients were yeah. were kind of being lost. Yeah. So you found that you really had to sort of, you know, take control or be involved in the whole process, correct, in order to make it work. Yeah. 
So an, yeah. an audiologist now, or audiologists that work with us, can, can really focus on what they do best, which yeah. is providing clinical clinical care, um, you know, fitting hearing aids, yeah. um, you know, helping out wherever they can from like an audiological perspective. Yeah. They don't need to worry about the, the sales, the marketing. Right. So, so at the moment in your business, so what does it comprise of, say, you know, I don't know from an employee, staff, yeah. what, how many do you have, what are they actually doing? Yeah, sure. So... Um, there's so other than Akiva and myself who are both working on the business full time mm-hmm. uh, we also have um, five um, kind of like salesmen you know yeah. on the phone we call them hearing success managers mm-hmm. they're essentially there to uh, respond to the inquiries that we get and yeah. facilitate appointment bookings yeah. with the clinics that we work with um, and then we've got one other person who helps um, in admin so mm. he's there to um, just keep everything organized, mm. order products, uh, make sure they're shipped out on time, yeah. um, keep on top of the CRM to make sure that it's all organized. So there's there's seven of us, um, seven or eight of us yeah. uh, involved in the business on a full-time basis. And do you, do you need someone like managing relationships with the audiologist or is that what you guys... So that's predominantly, what, that's predominantly what, what uh, Akira and I do. Yeah. Um, we also have a fairly senior staff member that's been with us since we started almost since we started working on it full-time since yeah. since august 2017 mm. um called sam he's very involved in um like he comes with me to, to conferences and 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 to meetings and mm. um you know helps onboard a lot of the clinics that we work with um yeah but yeah it's, it's pretty much up to like yeah. us akiva and myself so i'm sort of interested in then uh a little bit how you you know you started so you said that you guys were sort of working time you actually started this on the side taking a few yeah a few calls at what point did you sort of think hang on we can actually there's something in this you know yeah. as a full-time business yeah sure so we never really decided to work on the business full-time when we started we just thought mm. that you know we'd set this up on the side and that it would just run and mm. we charge clinics um, a fee for the leads that we generate and that yeah. was it um I was working for a marketing agency. I was working um, in the startup world and as a lawyer. Um, it wasn't till um, I was working at this agency for about five years. It wasn't till probably about like April um, to 2017. I, I eventually like quit and concentrated on the business mm. full time mm-hmm. from July. It wasn't till about you know March or April that that I that I said to Akiva like I think we need to start concentrating on this full time mm. because. I was darting out of work to um, yeah. speak to customers on the phone, and I started yeah. getting some uh, some looks from, yeah, from my boss, yeah, wondering yeah. why I kept on yeah. walking out of the room yeah. so often. Um, yeah. So the good thing about um, committing to the business full time when we did was that we were because the business had already run um, part time or on the side for a couple of years before we worked before we committed to it full time. We were able to start paying ourselves um, a modest salary right yeah. from the beginning, Great. Uh, which obviously took a lot of the pressure off. Yeah, um, I mean. I committed to it full time from from um, July 2017, but my yeah. boss was quite good. He let me take off Fridays for about six months from the start of 2017 to just oh, concentrate okay. on that on that yeah. um, on Fridays mm. exclusively, which was yeah. great. Yeah, uh, Akiva too. Um, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't. So we got we got a series of phone calls in. I think it was like it was actually like air of Pesach, and mm. I was like leaving work early that day. Mm. Um, and I think we got about six or seven calls that morning. Um, a few of them were from customers, and uh, like, but most of them were from hearing aid manufacturers mm. wanting to like suss us out and work out who we were. Yeah. 
Um, and it was at that point that I, I felt guilty that I was spending so much time outside yeah, of the yeah, office. Yeah. And I just said to my boss, look, you know, and, something's going to give. And did you need like much capital to start the business? Like did you need a so, lot of money? Yeah, so <laughs> that, that was another benefit of, um, I guess, working on it on the side for the mm. time being while we were employed elsewhere. Yeah. Was that, you know, any, any income that we generated, we, um, you know, pumped back into the business. Mm. Um, the beauty of... The beauty of the of the industry is that, um, from a cash flow perspective, it's it's pretty great because you 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 essentially are selling the hearing aids up front, mm. so you're getting that revenue to kind of you know hit your mm. hit your bank account before you pay for a lot of your expenses and costs. Right. Um, so that helps. It also it also means you've got to make sure you you know you correct. keep enough in reserve. Yeah, correct. You don't, yeah. You don't spend it all. Yeah, correct. So <laughs> um, you know a, a significant chunk. We're just trying to grow. Yeah. So a significant chunk of our um, of our uh, profits, I guess, are pumped back into mm. marketing and advertising. Yeah, because yeah. uh, we just want to, you know, consistently move more units. Yeah, but I imagine you've got to be pretty careful because you say you get your revenue up front, but then you may have to pay the um, the audiologist for their five sessions. Yeah, or so. <laughs> you know, so you've yeah. got like these. You've almost got a bit of a liability on your books, don't correct. you? Correct. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So. Um, well, the, the the other good thing about the industry is that you don't actually like have to like order and hold stock. You know, an order comes in yeah. and you order from the manufacturer essentially yeah. on time. Yeah. So um, yeah. you don't have to pay for it for like another 30, 60 or 90 days depending right. on the manufacturer. So you don't order. really have to, and you, so you don't have to hold any stock? Not really. Uh, and you don't really have debtors either? You don't have people owing you money or do you? Um, not really. We don't have very mm. many. Or in 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 the early days um before we were good at kind of um billing and um making sure customers were paying mm. on the date of their fitting we were obviously um chasing up customers making sure they paid for their hearing aids which right. was a bit of a nightmare yeah um but now they've got to pay when they leave they've got to the pay place. at yeah. the fitting and, and they all and, know and that. they've got your you know your your payment facility and yeah. all that stuff the funny thing is yeah. so we don't we don't support um we don't support, so the only uh, payment options that we offer is credit card and and bank transfer yeah uh, we don't offer check um, the first time in like the two or three years we've been running the business, we got um, a check in the mail the other yeah. day. I don't think I've banked a check since my bar <laughs> Um And we we changed our business name. So our business was originally called Ozen. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. We changed it to Hearing Choices, but our bank account name is still in the name of our old business name, Ozen Hearing <laughs> Australia. So I went to go bank the check. The funds popped up in the account, but they didn't end up clearing. And the reason yeah. why they didn't end up clearing was because you know, it was being banked in the wrong business name. <laughs> so I had to like go and, you know, so the patient was based in Adelaide. So I had to like, you know, contact them and oh God, what they were a little bit distrusting. Pain. And yeah, yeah. finally we managed to get the check, yeah. but so had, had not received one check in three mm. years. And mm. then all of a sudden we, re- so we received like two other subsequent <laughs> checks, like, um, you know, within, within. But, close but how, how can they send you checks that they've got to pay when they leave the place? Yeah. So they, a lot of the clinics that we, so, the three occasions this happened, it happened with new clinics that ah, um, okay. you know, may not necessarily have been onboarded no, properly yeah, and, yeah. and weren't told, no, no, pa- yeah. patients can only pay credit card or bank yeah. transfer. Um, so they sent them in the mail. Luckily, yeah. like the, the two subsequent checks we received were in the right uh, bank right. account name. We so, you, so, so that's great. So you don't really have stock or debtors, which no. is, uh, but you've got obviously employees. Correct. Staff, exactly. <laughs> that, so it's, a, it's a people business. Yeah, it's a staff the, business. Uh, yeah. I mean, because that's usually, yes, I, I find with businesses, you know, stock, debtors, and staff yeah. are kind of the most yeah. important. I, mean, I guess unless you're in like a manufacturing where you need big capital equipment, but but all you really need is a um like as a call center. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And where yeah. is your call center? So the our call center is just in Caulfield, actually yeah. on the on the end of my street on Oran Crescent. Yeah, uh, which is fantastic. Um, awesome. 
So yeah, so there's a we've got like right we're next just to the cafe there. Yeah, right above it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I go to the gym there every week. Yeah, so do I. I do. Yeah. yeah. Who do you train with, Clint? Uh, I used oh. to train with Clint. I train with Michelle. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's great. I mean, my my friends all pay me out because my parents live across the road. <laughs> there's Fresh and Co around the corner. Oh yeah. Um, works on the street. Gym's on the street. The only yeah. time I leave my street is to take my son to crash in the morning. So yeah. other other than that, I've got no 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 reason to leave and to go to school. So. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's um that's awesome. So what would you say are are the biggest sort of challenges that you've had? Like um, yeah, sure. I think, um, I think staffing is mm. is is a big challenge. Um, originally, because we were worried, we we're a bit nervous and apprehensive to commit to employing full time staff yeah. right from the get go. So we relied on, and we still do rely on a couple of uni students. Um, so I think, you know, relying on uni students who obviously have exams and yeah. um, things like you know camps if they're involved with youth movements and then yeah. uni holidays yeah. and you know kids like you know uni, uni students love love traveling um so it was, it was hard um not so much from a staffing perspective but from like a rostering perspective I, f- mm. I, f- I find i found that challenging and i still find it quite challenging mm. uh but now you know the business is a bit more resilient um you know we're generating a little bit more income we can afford to kind of take on the the risk of hiring full-time yeah. staff yeah, and what um, sort of like are they generally pretty young? The staff, like, what's this? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that I think average age is probably about twenty four. Yeah, yeah okay. um, Are they like university graduates or? So, so we've got so we we started by hiring uni students, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, two of the guys or three of the guys that work with us now are uni graduates. So, so one was a health sciences student, mm. so she's working with us. Um, Sam has like a commerce background. Um, yeah. So he's been with us since 2017. Yeah. And we just hired a, a new full-time staff member that just moved across from Perth. Right. He's also a lawyer that didn't really want to practice law. So they don't have to have, yeah, they don't have, to have any particular technical expertise. No, in, no. In, they've, you know, they've, in, you know they've, they've got to be able to have a nice phone manner and, yeah. and be able to build a rapport with customers over the phone, which yeah. is not easy. Yeah. Um, and, and do you have like quite... Uh, specific training that you give them if you yeah it's pretty you, yeah. It's, it's pretty regimented now yeah. um, we've got you know some nice structures and, and systems that we've set up to make sure that um, you know they're hitting their KPIs mm. um, and hitting their, their targets to ensure that we're hitting mm. the booking numbers that we need to be making yeah. every single yeah. month yeah um, they're obviously they're yeah, they're not responsible for bringing leads in. They're responsible for, you know, you want to see what they're converting when they... when they Yeah, correct, correct. Look, one, one area that I think the, um, you know, we'd like to concentrate on improving the business a little bit is we, we really are at the mercy of the audiologist that sees the patient. Mm. If the audiologist that sees the patient makes a mess of the appointment or can't sell very well, can't recommend the right product to the patient very well or finds it hard to communicate to them, we end up essentially burning that customer right um so one one area that i want to concentrate on moving forward now that i you know now that we've kind of got our inside sales team running fairly smoothly smoothly like one area that that i and i want to focus on is is trying to improve um how the audiologists deliver the services mm. that they offer to customers i think there's mm. a, there are big wins to be had there that i, that I think will hopefully move the dial mm. well that might be a good value add for them as Correct, well yeah. if you're sort of helping them helping them in terms of running the business. But as you say, like, I, I guess that makes sense. It's a challenge. Like, you know, you don't control the entire customer experience. Exactly. You only control it up to a point. Exactly. So, yeah, so yeah. you don't know exactly what's going to happen at the end. And Yeah. Look at that. I mean, we've had, you know, we've, we've 
we've, we've been really reasonably successful with you know a few clinics that we work with other clinics haven't been as successful probably because mm. we're not we, we can't do as much um volume in, in the areas that mm. they're in you know they obviously yeah. you know want us to be driving more but sometimes it's very difficult to like zero in on an area and just target that area specifically mm. um but look there, there are clinics that we work with that um you know essentially had you know umpteen holes in their calendar every single day um who are now fairly busy chock-a-bot clinics because we're able to consistently drive them new business that's um, awesome so i mean in in the hearing aid industry um a high percentage of, of patients are, are pensioners like mm. what they call like office of hearing services or um like ohs customers uh, they get like a, a small um, I guess rebate or allowance from the government to be used towards a pair of hearing aids. So when we started, uh, and th- there are a lot of pensioners that just go for the free to pensioner hearing aids, mm. which are pretty average. Um, mm. They're not very good at all. So this one clinic that we worked with, I think eighty or ninety percent of like their clinic before we started working with them were all pension patients. Mm. Um, you know, lower value customers mm. um, who weren't spending very much. Now I think his clinic's probably about um, forty, sixty, so sixty percent private patients who mm. are obviously spending you know more money on, on on better quality devices yeah um and and 40 percent that the pensioner you know free to pensioner clientele yeah wow so those places must be really really happy with you guys yeah i think i think um you know where we've where we've been able to i guess onboard clinics well mm. communicate with them effectively drive you know decent quality customers to them mm. um the relationship has really flourished yeah and it's interesting you talk about the different areas like does this tend to work? I don't know. Do it work better in sort of I don't know metropolitan areas or yeah, or is uh, it hard, yeah, more harder in the country or those those sort of things. Or? Generally, generally the country is a bit easier because yeah. you've got these big chains that operate in their country in the mm. country, and their pricing is different to the pricing they offer at their own stores in metropolitan areas. So mm. in the country, they're obviously selling less products. They have mm. to sell them at a higher cost to be able right. to drive the margins and, or, and, and profits they need to be driving. Right. Um, so we inherit a lot of customers from the big chains in yeah. rural areas because... Yeah. They're just charging such high prices. But otherwise, can people otherwise just buy hearing aids online or not really? You can't do it without an audio. So, so you, you can. There are, there are plenty of... Um, look, when we started our business, I think there were like maybe like one or two online um mm. people advertising hearing aids online now it seems like every man and their dog has really? a hearing aid business yeah um there are people that you know sell hearing aids online that you know they run e-commerce stores they sell them as um, a bit of an unbundled service so mm. you buy the product and then take it to an audiologist and get mm. them to fit it um very risky you know buying hearing aids like that because hearing aids break they need adjusting they need mm. fine tuning mm. because there's a lot of um coaching and um you know cognition involved in yeah. hearing and, and yeah. wearing hearing aids yeah. it's really important um that customers see the the, the the value and virtue associated with the service component yeah. of being fitted with hearing aids it's not yeah. not really like going on an optometrist and just you know walking out with with a pair of glasses and yeah. never seeing them again so what's uh you know what's your sort of the next plans on the horizons for you guys like like do you want to like You've, is it d- ability to significantly grow your market share? Do you want to go yeah. find new markets, or, or what, what's your real sort of plan from here? Yeah, sure. So I think we set up the business hoping that um, you know we'd be able to set up kind of like a like a, a sales um, engine mm-hmm. um, that could theoretically be implantable on a number of different different businesses. So mm-hmm. I think like ultimately we'd like to kind of sell the business to let's say like a big chain. Um, 
or you know a big network of clinics um and then you know roll our model into like you know their business mm. so that they can start to generate their all their own you know inquiries and new business on their own online what these big chains have been good at over a, a long period of time is being able to generate customers offline what mm. what they don't really see as their core competency um is mm. is the online online um area being able to generate customers online yeah, yeah. and that's something that we do very very well right so we've got this whole setup now so i think ultimately we'd love to either integrate into like a big big chain big manufacturer and um, they can kind of buy the but if you did that won't you burn all the, your independent well, no, because a lot of the manufacturers still remember, like a lot of the manufacturers are still selling hearing aids to their wholesale market, and the whole or you know, right. wholesale is the biggest part of their business, right? So right. they still they still have a lot of independents that they work with that they sell their hearing aids to. Yeah. So essentially, it would allow them to to, to add a, a value add to the services and and you know, what you know the services they're already offering the independent clinics that they work with. Mm. Okay. Well, no, uh, it's been a great chat and we're coming towards the end, but the last segment is uh, three top tips. So given that it's a fairly young business, a couple of years old, uh, I thought you might be able to give three top tips for our listeners, you know, for starting up a, you know, when they're starting up a tech business. Yeah, sure. So I think uh, tip number one is uh, make sure you choose your business partner wisely. Mm-hmm. Make sure, um, you know, they're strengths complement your strengths um akiva's like a self-confessed tech head mm. he loves nothing more than kind of coming into the office in the morning sticking a pair of head- headphones on his ears and just kind of concentrating on the stuff he needs to do whether, yeah. whether it you know be you know putting our website back together um you know I- anything tech you know building yeah. landing pages yeah. uh setting up the crm properly yeah so he he complements um you know my strengths quite well i'm more involved in um, you know, HR, managing staff, mm-hmm. hiring staff, um, and, you know, like the face-to-face side of the business. Yeah. Uh, so that's probably tip number one is, is choose the right business partner. Tip number two is um, the benefit of online businesses nowadays and, and startups nowadays is that, you know, you really can kind of work on this stuff after hours and mm-hmm. on the weekends on the side. Um, always, always best to kind of, you know, concentrate on a business full-time and move into it full-time once you can... Um, afford to pay yourself a bit of um, like a bit of an income Mm. uh, which definitely takes the pressure off particularly if you have young families Um, so definitely you know my advice would be to um, if you're not taking on funding um, to to, or or investment um, you know wait to concentrate on the business full-time when you can start to justify a wage for yourself yeah that's tip number two and then tip number three is um, you know running your own business or, or startup generally tends to kind of consume you it's mm. just makes you like really really busy mm. um having an office that's like fairly close to home um, <laughs> ends up you know saving you a significant amount of time close so, to home but not in home <laughs> correct, correct correct so i think you know working close to home is great um because it minim- minimizes travel time travel time's dead time so terrific all right now well thanks very much for coming on today it's been a great discussion uh Thank you for our listeners for tuning in. As I said, if you've enjoyed this show, go go to the Finance Hour on iTunes, leave us a rate and review. It'll just mean that we can reach more people. Uh, other than that, uh, thanks for tuning in and we will see you again next week.